Hello, everyone. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast episode today. I'm actually going to be featuring this interview on both of my podcasts. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar, I have two podcasts. One is called the Overcoming Chronic Illness Podcast, where I interview doctors and clinicians and other folks who have advice for people uh, that are suffering from complex chronic illnesses, conditions like um, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, Lyme disease, mold toxicity, different things like that. And then my other podcast is called an Optimistic Future Podcast. Uh, that's a podcast where I interview folks that talk about topics that relate to some of the, well, many of the numerous challenges that we face in our world. Um, you know, we have a wonderful, beautiful planet, uh, lots of great things in it, but also um, different problems, uh, social challenges, environmental challenges, financial challenges, etc. Um, and sometimes it can feel um, overwhelming and uh, can feel a bit uh, de um, deflating and defeating to be thinking about all the problems in the world. But um, the reality is that there are um, steps, um, oftentimes very simple steps that we can all take to start, you know, collectively working towards solutions to those challenges. So um, that's the nature of that podcast. So if you are tuning in and on the either podcast platform. Well, I have another podcast. And if you're interested, please, please check it out. Um, so I'm going to tell you about uh, my guest, and then I'll explain why I'm doing kind of a, a dual episode, shall we say, um, how this uh, one guest pertains to both podcasts. Um, so my guest today is named Rachel Harrington. Uh, Rachel is a pediatric occupational therapy assistant, um, and she has a uh, website called Sensational Brain. I've been following Rachel on through um, on her, um, on Instagram uh, through the her social uh, sensational brain handle um, for some time now, and she posts about a lot of really interesting topics. Um, two of which I'm particularly interested in because they relate to my clinical practice. Um, something called retained primitive reflexes, and the other is something called sensory integration. Um, I won't get into the details of what those are all about because we'll leave it to the expert to tell us um, in, in just a few moments. Um, but uh, the reason that this topic pertains to my Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast is because, well, first of all, some of the topics that we talk about with chronic illness relate to pediatric patients, um, kids that say have a diagnosis of PANS or PANDAS, uh, which for folks that are not familiar are essentially these kind of inflammatory um, disorders affecting the nervous system. Um, kids with, uh, say, an ADHD label, kids with tick disorders, um, the retained primitive reflexes and sensory integration have a can have a huge impact on um, kids with those diagnoses or labels. Um, but then these are issues that can also potentially affect adult patients as well. Uh, folks who are suffering with you know chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or um, other other uh, chronic pain issues, things like that. Um, in many cases, in my clinical experience, have these kind of hypersensitizations, like hyperarousal of their nervous system or nervous system imbalances going on. It might be something like amygdala dysfunction or things related to neuroinflammation or whatnot. And there's lots of great therapies out there that can be helpful, like amygdala retraining, neurofeedback, somatic experiencing, et cetera. But if um, those individuals have these retained primitive reflexes or a recurrence of these primitive reflexes or their sensory integration issues, these are things that can put a lot of strain on the nervous system on a day-to-day -day basis, it can really stand in the way of, of a patient recovering. So that's the application of this um, interview to the Overcoming Chronic Illness crew um, or podcast. Um, in terms of the optimistic future, where, you know, of course, the Optimistic Future podcast is not a, a health podcast in the traditional sense of things, but there are certain health-related topics that I think are really relevant for us to all um, know about. Um, one of the things that, you know, I don't think there's much emphasis on in our society is just the real importance of um, community involvement with, when it comes to healthcare. You know, we have great, you know, doctors and nurses and other clinicians and public health initiatives and things like that that are really, really important, but there's just not a lot of emphasis placed on um, community involvement with healthcare, you know, if there's someone who's in your, you know, at your workplace or, you know, your place of worship or, you know, some community group that you're part of sports team and you're like, oh man, like Bill's just been not really himself lately. You know, I wonder what's going on. You know, maybe have a chat with Bill and maybe he's like, you know, I didn't know anybody was noticing, but like, I've been feeling kind of depressed and this and that. And like, you know, maybe that recognition by someone else is enough for Bill to say, well, maybe I should go, you know, talk to a, you know, a counselor or something like that. Maybe talk to my doctor about some medication or whatever it happens to be. You know, there's a community role for healthcare as well. Well, when it comes to primitive reflexes and or I should say retained primitive reflexes or sensory integration issues, there are certain signs that are, and I'm, I'm hoping that Rachel will be able to uh, you know, help um, uh, enumerate some of those or list some of those. Um, there are certain signs that I think would be good for just the general public to know about where 
um, if we see this, you know, in a, you know, a, a child of a family member, or we, you know, if, some, if someone listening is a teacher and you see this in one of your students, or if we're just aware of some of these um, sort of, um, maybe for lack of a nicer way of putting it, kind of warning signs to look out for, I think it's better for folks to know about these things, because if we can pick these things up, especially at earlier ages, it could really save that child a lot of you know, difficulty, a lot of suffering potentially. Um, but then also when that child grows up, if they have still these retained primitive reflexes or sensory integration issues, it could lead to, you know, health challenges um, in their adult life as well. So for example, um, and again, Rachel will do this more justice than me. Um, but to my understanding, if if some kids, you know, it's like, oh, my child just never, you know, or like my, my grandchild, you know, they never, they never crawled, you know, they, they kind of went from like, you know, just lying there being cute to, you know, butt scooting to walking. And, you know, at first blush, like, oh, they're so, they're so precocious, you know, they didn't even need to crawl they were just ready to take on the world well to my understanding crawling is crucially important for proper nervous system integration and it may be that a child that doesn't crawl might be at a greater risk of say a learning challenge down the road or maybe challenges related to adhd or something like that so um that's just one small example of something that we could maybe be aware of it's like oh this kid's not crawling maybe you know say well i just i heard this podcast before and you know maybe just get that checked out maybe you know or, or let's look up that podcast and listen to it again or something like that so that's the motivation where i think that when it comes to you know um uh contributing to the uh, healthiest, happiest, most um, you know prosperous world. I think that, of course, the health of children is a big part of that. The health of all of us is part of that. Um, and uh, I was thinking that this would be something that would be relevant to uh, both podcasts for, for those reasons. So um, because this is a health-related topic, which is always the case with the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast, but uh, not uh, not all the time with the uh, Optimistic Future podcast, I will just have a quick disclaimer here that nothing that Rachel and I uh, talk about will, should be construed as medical advice. It's for informational purposes only. If you need health advice, please talk to your healthcare provider to get that advice. So I'm going to pause the recording and I'll be back in just a moment with Rachel. All right, everyone. I am now joined by Rachel. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. Um, so Rachel, would you mind just telling listeners, um, you know, uh, who you are, how you got involved in this area, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm Rachel. I'm a certified occupational therapy assistant by trade, and now I am a certified primitive reflex clinical specialist. I am a mom of two. I have a three and a half year old and a 21 month old. So I'm very busy. I honestly am just obsessed and so nerdy about sharing this information as it relates to the sensory system for everyone, kids, adults, geriatrics, because everyone has a sensory system and primitive reflex integration. And I feel like reflexes are kind of starting to gain a little bit of popularity and people are starting to learn a little bit more about them. Hopefully that's my goal. And people are starting to realize they have these bigger challenges either with themselves or with their kiddos, like ADHD, for example. And my goal is helping people to identify that these bigger challenges could have, you know, a connection to these retained primitive reflexes or sensory processing challenges because it's all part of that big foundation. We have to have that strong foundation, primitive reflex maturation. We have to have good sensory processing and modulation, and then we can build on those higher level learning capabilities. And if we don't have that foundation, things like reading, writing, drawing, driving, focusing, listening to a conversation, all of those higher level skills are going to be a lot more challenging. So I got into the work just by, I don't even know. I honestly didn't want to work with kids when I graduated school. I was like geriatrics all the way. I love my old folks. And then I got a job in pediatrics and I just, I kind of was a natural at it. And I just ended up loving working with kids and seeing the progress that they're making. And then once I had my own kiddos, I just, um, I had an opportunity to buy Sensational Brain, and so I acquired Sensational Brain because the previous owner, Gwen, was transitioning to, into some other things, and I already had a separate, two other separate businesses, and it just fit with what I was doing, and I just have had so much fun, you know, meeting presenters, meeting other professionals, and just sharing, sharing my love and my passion. Amazing. That's great. Um, would you be able to just give us a kind of rundown of like what are retained primitive reflexes? And um, I mean, I kind of think of sensory integration issues certainly being related yeah. to primitive reflexes. I, I don't know if you'd lump them all into one topic or if it's kind of two <laughs> topics, but can you tell us about uh, just a little overview of what those things are? Yes. So primitive reflexes are 
a set of movements and responses that are primitive, we're born with them, they, most of them develop in utero. And they are often kickstarted into integration by that birthing process. So uh, a vaginal birth is generally how we kickstart those reflexes in, into integration. And so these reflexes, you think about the moro reflex, which is the startle reflex. And you think about when a baby is um, triggered by a loud noise or you set them down in their crib and they startle awake. That's that moro reflex trying to keep them safe and cling on to mom. And you have a set of these reflexes that develop and integrate on a timeline, similarly to how gross motor milestones, you know, you roll, you crawl, you walk you sit and and they they go in this very specific order and so these reflexes kind of go hand in hand with that they they work together they integrate though they go away they're stored in our brains for future if ever we need them they come back um they're we call them they're dormant and so the kicker with these reflexes they're supposed to go away and they're supposed to integrate on that timeline when they don't integrate on that great timeline that we love so much, we can see challenges with motor milestones. We can see challenges with social, emotional speech milestones. We can see misdiagnoses for sensory processing disorder, anxiety, ADHD, learning challenges, ocular motor challenges. We can see all of these challenges start to just kind of pop up out of nowhere almost. And and parents are lost, like, what is going on with my child? They're in fight or flight. They're getting motion sickness. They are uncomfortable in their skin. And we have to take it back to the basics and say, did these reflexes integrate? Did they go away? If they're holding on to them, we need to work on integrating them and getting them to go away. That way the child can work on those higher level cognitive skills, like I mentioned. Um, and so Joanne, just giving folks a little um, uh, sense of like, how would those be integrated? Generally, we like to see them integrated by the birthing process. So vaginal birth, going through the birth canal, coming out, you think about if you, I love birth and you see a baby come out of the birth canal and they're in that startle reflex. You can always see that startle reflex that moral reflex happen. So birth is generally the first time that they are kickstarted into integration. And then we see them integrate by free floor time. So we're out of containers, we're on the floor, we're rolling, we're moving in our environment naturally. Um, we have to make sure that babies are safe and supported. They have um, lots of love, their biological needs are met, right? Those reflexes won't integrate if those biological needs aren't met. We want to make sure that babies are crawling on hands and knees in that good pattern, that hands and knees pattern. Um, and then we want to see them develop into a, a pull to sit. We want to see them or a pull to stand. We want to see them cruising. We want to see them walking. So like I mentioned, the, the connection between those developmental milestones and those reflexes are key. Um, but so often we're seeing kids who are in containers a majority of part of the day they're in car seats they're in high chairs they're in bouncers and sit me ups and they aren't able to feel what gravity is and and explore how their bodies move and that's basically how they integrate is feeling safe being able to move those are my two go-tos um and um in terms of uh, the kind of the sensory integration piece which that's yep. kind of tied in with the primitive reflexes yep. but um could you speak to the sensory integration piece kind of as a quasi separate entity just yes. for explanation purposes please yes so we all have eight senses i know that's probably a shocker to some people listening because we're all i feel like we it's done such a disservice to us growing up they're like you have five cents five senses and we're like actually you have eight and those hidden three are the most important i think in terms of regulation and and body awareness so we've got our regular five you know sight touch feel sound um, smell. And then we have those three hidden senses, which is your vestibular system, which is your sense of movement. And those, those senses, those sensors, basically the mechanism is located in your inner ear. Then you have your proprioceptive system. And this is your body awareness, how you're feeling. This is kind of the all regulatory sense. And you have receptors in your joints and your muscles and tendons. And if you think about, you know, closing your eyes and being able to touch your fingers to your nose, you're able to do that because you have good proprioceptive awareness. 
And then the last one is your interoceptive system. And this is kind of the newest one that they've, this wasn't even taught to me in school about your interoceptive system. And this is what's going on internally, your organs communicating to each other. Are you hot? Are you cold? Do you have to go to the bathroom? Are you sick? Are you tired? Um, so really what's happening internal, that internal sense. And so everyone has these eight senses. And sensory modulation comes into, are we able to focus on what's important in the moment? Or are we, are we more focused on the sound of the bathroom fan? Or is the chair that we're sitting in uncomfortable? Do we feel like we're going to fall out of the chair? Um, can we only focus on, um, you know, the smell in the kitchen, right? And it's smelling bad and it smells like cooked breakfast and we can't focus on, on what's important in that moment. So you can be over-responsive, which means you can be overly sensitive. You can be under-responsive, meaning that you're not getting enough sensory input, or you can be sensory seeking. And this is one that, that we often see misdiagnosed for our, our kiddos with ADHD or our, you know, quote unquote, bad kiddos who are on the go. They're craving so much input. They're trying to meet that sensory need in order to feel normal. And it's almost impossible to meet that need on a daily basis, especially in the classroom. So you can be over-responsive, under-responsive, or sensory seeking to all of those senses. So that's eight senses, and each one processes things a little bit differently. And, and most people are mixed in their responses. They're sensitive to sounds. They're overwhelmed by um, new flavors or new textures. They're picky eaters, or they're uncomfortable when they leave when their feet leave the ground. Maybe swings are uncomfortable, or they're um, struggling with motion sickness. So that's kind of sensory processing in a nutshell. We just have to be able to have those appropriate adaptive responses to the sensory input that we're, that we're getting bombarded with daily. Um, so for someone who has some sensory integration challenges, just as a, as a clinician, um, how would you, how do you assess that? Uh, like, could you just give us a flavor of like, um, yeah. yeah, what kind of assessments would you be doing? Yeah. So generally in the OT field, you'd come in. I'm not an OT. I'm a CODA, which means I do the treatment interventions. I don't do the assessments, but generally they'd come in, they'd have an assessment with the therapist. Therapist would take them through a variety of activities. The caregivers would fill out information, checklist, intake form. Um, one of the forms that I love is they have sensory checklists and sensory um, questionnaires. And that gives that gives providers a good idea of how they're processing sensory input. And then there are some standardized sensory assessments. I don't feel like they're as common um, for a therapist to do a full-blown standardized sensory assessment. It's generally based off of like the checklists and the questionnaires, those standardized assessments, rather than like you know, the SIPT or things like that. Um, but generally you come in for an evaluation and you see a specialist in sensory integration and they can tell you where we're, where our sensory needs are at and they can develop a plan and a kind of a sensory diet that they take the kiddo through during therapy and, and provide adaptations and modifications at home too. So when, if say, you know, after an assessment, it's like, okay, it looks like there's some sensory processing issues. Um, is there are challenges? Um, so would the, uh, is it, um, are there therapeutic interventions to kind of help to, um, down, turn down the volume on those, um, challenges? Yeah. Like, is it, is it, mm -hmm. it's not just about like, you know, Oh, just try to avoid it or this or that. Like you yes. can actually kind of do some yeah. work. To There's very them. specific interventions. Um, you know, things like swinging in certain ways, followed by proprioception, followed by, you know, deep, touch pressure with a sensory brush, um, sound programs. They have like the, the listening program, which is a great program. So there's all of these different modalities. And I feel like that's the hardest thing as therapists is figuring out what modality to use. A lot of it is trial and error to figure out how the child adapts and how they process the sensory input. A lot of it is consistency, consistent exposure to preferred and non-preferred sensory input. But it's definitely not just like a let's just throw it at the kid and see what they can do. Let's just teach them how to how to get through it. I'm not a huge fan of like desensitization, you know, like if we're sensitive to the loud noises, we're just going to turn on loud noises all the time. Or you think about fingers on a chalkboard that makes me cringe and we're not just going to scratch the chalkboard until we get used to it. So there's definitely a happy medium of providing the right interventions and making sure that the child can adapt and can modify based on, on how their sensory needs are.
And um, it's a good question. I like that one. Thank you. Thank you. Been practicing for a little while now. So yeah. um, thank you. Um, as far as the uh, primitive reflexes go, um, would you mind just um, giving like a, an example of, you know, how you might test for a retained primitive yeah. reflex and then uh, what the, um, how that might be uh, treated if there was a retained yeah. primitive reflex? For sure. There's a variety of different protocols or methods, if you will, for primitive reflex assessment and integration. The one that I follow, I mean, there's, it's not like a specific plan. It's just more of how occupational therapists approach children. And it's very functional and will assess the, their reflexes based on a series of movements. And so it's kind of a hands-on, we're moving them in certain ways, we're moving their heads, we're watching their, their body and how they move. And that gives us a good idea of how to identify if their reflexes are present, if they're intense, if they're not intense. Um, for example, with the ATNR, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, we are, have the child in quad, so on their hands and knees, and we turn their head side to side, or we have them look at different targets passively, um, or actively, I'm sorry. So they're actually looking and we're not turning their head and they can see what their body is doing when their head is turning. Because um, in infancy, that reflex is kind of the fencer reflex. So if they're laying on their back and they turn their head and they look at one side, that arm is going to extend. So it's kind of the basis of um, hand-eye coordination. And so we want to see if they're holding on to that reflex by moving their head and following their vision and seeing what their body does. So we test it by the movement and then we integrate it by incorporating those functional movements as well to help that reflex go through a series of, of movements to downplay it and to get it to go into integration or um, kind of into that dormancy. So generally reflex programs are 30 days per reflex is kind of like the basis. But from my experience, it generally takes longer because of the clients that we work with. They have a hard time doing the exercises and the activities with proper form. So it takes a while to get them to do the activities with proper form. Um, so once we have that form, then we're doing the activities every day for 30 days. So it's it's difficult. That's definitely the biggest barrier to reflex integration is getting caregivers to follow through with the activities and and to get the kiddos to do it and and so it definitely takes a lot of a lot of energy from the caregiver and the therapist in order to make sure that we're carrying over that and just to give listeners a sense of like what they might be getting into if they were to you know pursue this for one of their kiddos or, or whatnot um like how what would the, a daily time requirement be or what would a range be that you might have to put in to do this yeah, daily time, 10 minutes. You know, we're doing exercises, activities in the morning. We're doing activities at night, right? So it's not it's not a huge time commitment, but what you can do is incorporate some of those play-based activities that help facilitate integration into the daily play routine. And so we don't typically test for retained primitive reflexes in kiddos under four or five because it's really difficult to get an accurate reading on a toddler, right? So generally we're assessing these at four to five and older and adults as well. And then when kids are a little bit older and they can integrate those reflexes, they can follow that plan and they can participate a little bit easier. But I do the exercises with my toddler who's three and a half and it is like, whew, it's not easy. We have to be really creative in order to get some of those activities done. Fair enough. Yeah. My, my <laughs> wife, uh, me a little bit, but mostly my wife, cause she's home with the kids. Um, yeah, she does the extra, some, some of the, uh, integration exercises at yeah. home. I'm like, yeah, it's like when you're in the rhythm, it's good, but it's like, oh my gosh, there's yeah. just so much to do in the run of a day. It's like 10 minutes a day. What are you talking about? Who has time for that? But you, know, you have to end, put it in your calendar. You have to yeah. put it on the calendar, on the visual schedule. And that way everyone knows what to expect. That, that is key. Yeah. But man, yeah. Um, when you find the right kind of like game based uh, options and whatnot, like the kids are like, oh, like we want to play the catching game and like the thing. Anyways, I won't I don't won't do it justice. She's uh, driving the boat on that. But yeah, they, they really love, <laughs> love it when it. you find the right fit. So it's good. Yeah, good I'm glad. Fit. Yeah, me, me too. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to uh, some of the benefits that uh, you've seen in uh, folks that are, or kids that are, um, you know, neurodivergent, so, you know, whether it's on the autism spectrum, you know, ADHD, um, would you be able to speak to just some of the positive outcomes that you've seen with uh, some kids that are, have those labels? 
Yeah. So I actually just met with a gal who has five kids and she did the integration activities with four of her five kids because the youngest one was too young and she did them herself. And I spoke with her and it was absolutely amazing. She was almost in tears talking. I was almost in tears. We all were about crying when she was telling us about how beneficial it was. And, and she honestly didn't finish the entire program. I mean, she, she focused on it during the summer when her kiddos was, were home and they were able to participate in those activities altogether. But she had kiddos who were struggling with anxiety and with social, kind of recognizing some social cues. Um, one of them does struggle with ADHD and she was able to say that they all made huge changes. They were less anxious. They were able to go out and socialize with their friends. They had more confidence. Um, even just their movement, she said, they were able to like run more fluidly. Um, and she even noticed that her social anxiety had totally improved and she was able to go to functions and not feel that like internal, like uncomfortableness of, of social situations. And um, so just that story alone, that's just the most recent one that I, that I have on my head. And it was, it was just absolutely amazing to hear some of the results that they, that, that had changed, but you know, anywhere from whatever neurological diagnosis, if, if we can have consistency, there's a potential to see huge gains and it, de it really depends on the kiddo. It depends on their level. Um, but the beautiful thing is about reflex integration. It's not like a medication where there's side effects. There's no side effects to, re to primitive reflex integration. The only thing to be aware of is that sometimes things get a little bit worse or a little bit harder before they get better because we're creating new neural pathways and we're challenging the brain to do hard things and to make new pathways for lack of a better term. But, um, we could see things get a little bit more challenging and, I just encourage if parents are on the journey of, of working on these reflexes to just be aware of that and to just continue on and take it easy, you know, modify as needed, but just know that that is kind of a typical thing that we see. Okay. And just <clears throat> circling back to the story with the the mom with the five kids um, and goodness gracious, five kids, I have three and right? it's like, wow, it deserves <laughs> it surviving that. Um, so in that kind of scenario, it's like, oh, like, you know, social skills are better and anxieties less and focuses less. And um, would, uh, when I hear a story like that, I'm thinking like, okay, kind of trying to look mechanistically, um, they're, their, you know, nervous systems are just under a lot less stress, like now that they've, you know, integrated these sensory challenges and whatnot. Um, and, and would that be a fair, um, assumption that like, oh, like, why are we seeing these benefits? Because the nervous system is just working more efficiently. It's not needing to go through these pathways or processes that are kind of like maybe wasting, you know, quote unquote, wasting energy here or there. Is that, is that kind of a fair assumption or yeah, is there a better I think explanation? So. I, I think my, my go-to is generally the fight or flight, right? Generally when, when kids have retained primitive reflexes or when adults have retained primitive reflexes, their body just is in a state of fight or flight and it makes learning more challenging. It makes eating, drinking, moving, going to the bathroom, socializing more challenging because we're feeling like an unnecessary feeling of there's a bear chasing us, right? We feel like we have to be you know, prepared to run away at any time. So when we can integrate those reflexes, that sense of fight or flight decreases. It, it helps take the body and the nervous system out of that state of fight or flight, allowing for kids to think more clearly, eat a more balanced meal. They can sit down at the table. They don't feel like they're going to fall off their chair. They can move, they can talk, and they can communicate a little bit more efficiently. So I think the biggest, my my takeaway and, and what I try to explain to people is that it, it gets that nervous system out of fight or flight and into that ability to rest and digest. And I've even heard of, of kids making like huge growth spurts and stuff afterwards because wow. their body is able to grow and develop and actually like process what they're eating and drinking and, and, you know, fueling themselves with just crazy. Yeah. That that's pretty profound. That's yeah. really great. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, just looking at the cellular physiology of it, it's like when we're in that fight or flight mode, like just certain things just don't really work as well. Like we need to get into parasympathetic mode, you know, to Exactly. facilitate growth processes. So yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty You've profound. got like stress, stress hormones, everything's like flooding your system, especially with that moral reflex. And so you think, I mean, how is a kid supposed to pay attention in school if they're like, oh, well, where's the bear? What, what's going to come after me now? You know, there's no way. Um, on that note, um, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but um, would you be able to just, um, you know, rhyme off a few of like the classic, like, quote unquote, naughty behaviors that are maybe a big clue that there's, you know, something, something the kids actually like really internally stressed about or dealing with? Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So the moral reflex, that's that startle reflex. We generally can see things like allergies, anxiety, motion sickness, sensory sensitivity. So again, you can see the connection there between the sensory system and the moral reflex. Um, so those are kind of the big ones that I like to focus on with the moral reflex. The next one is the tonic labyrinthine reflex or the TLR. And that one we can see balance challenges, coordination, ocular motor act, uh, challenges. Um, we can see poor muscle tone, W sitting, poor. I say low muscle tone generally. Um, w sitting, slouched posture, um, difficulty like organizing materials with the TLR. The next one is the ATNR, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. And that one we can see confusion with left and rights. Um, we can see challenges with reading and writing, copying from the board, um, a lot of coordination, ocular motor challenges. Remember, that's kind of that hand-eye coordination reflex there. The STNR is not technically a primitive reflex because it develops around six months, but it's the reflex that allows us to progress into a forward crawling pattern. Um, and so for kiddos who either don't crawl or skip crawling or have a janky crawl. Sometimes we can see a connection to a retained primitive reflex, a retained STNR there. We can see that slouched posture, the W sitting challenges, copying from the board, looking up and down, reading and writing on that one. The next one is the spinal gallant. And this one's interesting because when it is retained, we can see things like bedwetting past the age of five because it connects with the, the tactile system on the back. And when we have stimulation to the back, we can um, wet the bed from that because in infancy, if you um, stroke the sides of the infant's spine, it can elicit that urination as well in the reflex, which is normal. We can see things like challenges with um, sitting down and focusing. They kind of feel like they have ants in their pants, they're wiggling, they're having a hard time focusing. Um, and that one, we can see some gait issues as well and kind of like some scoliosis type symptoms too with that one. And then um, the palmer, which you think about that when the when you put the, the hands in the, in the baby's palm and they close around it, that's that palmer reflex. And that one, we could see a connection to speech challenges and tactile sensitivities, handwriting challenges. Um, the the palmer grasp and the rooting and the suck reflexes, those ones are directly connected as well. Again, picky eating challenges, imitating oral motor movements. Um, and then the Babinski reflex is the one where you stroke the baby's toes and their feet, you know, their toes kind of extend a little bit and, and curl. And that one, we can see things like toe walking or walking heavily um, with poor, like, proprioceptive discrimination and body awareness with that one. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the reflexes in a nutshell. I, I like to break them down a little bit because they have such a, they all have such a unique specific set of, of symptoms, if you will. And, and there's so hopefully people listening are like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Like that's always my goal is that it kind of just sparks that light bulb moment. Like, Oh, we are struggling with this. So let's look into it and see if there's a connection. So I'm just kind of compiling a little list here because, um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping folks will take away from this is like, oh, like in my day-to-day -day life, if I happen to have, you know, a family member or I'm a teacher and I have a student that I see this or, or whatnot, um, you know, it's like uh, things to kind of look for that might be a clue that like, oh, maybe, you know, an assessment should be done or, or you know, maybe. looking into this a bit further. So kind of my list I have so far, and please let me know what I should add to the list or, or take away from it. Um, so if an uh, observation that a child's not crawling or they kind of skip crawling, that would be a potential red flag. That's Um, always a red flag. Yeah. um, kids being in containers all the time, as you say. Um, and I mean, We're really lacking tummy time, right? That's okay. a big one is, is okay. either they don't like tummy time or they avoid tummy time or they're not getting enough tummy time. Okay. 
Um, and then some of these more like, you know, kind of, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, naughty misbehaving behaviors that are maybe compensations for, you know, something that's going on in the nervous system. So uh, picky eaters, um, the ants in the pants, um, putting things in their mouth, um, yep. you know, excessively. Yep. Um, and then, um, and then also a, a kid who or a child who's toe walking, um, yep. What else would you add to that list of like just kind of day-to-day -day person? Like I'm not an occupational therapy assistant. I'm just a day-to-day -day person kind of looking for stuff that, you know, little red flag or whatnot. Anything else that I should add to that list? Yeah, I would say um, going along with the ants in the pants, like on the go, seeking movement, bumping into people just like difficult to manage physically is another thing that I'd be aware of. And then on the flip side, the hesitation with the feet leaving the ground. So really avoiding swings, movement activities, somersaults. Um, and a, a big one too is just feeling uncomfortable in their body. I would also say um, speech delays or, um, you know, speech impediments could be another one to, to be aware of as well. Okay. And W sitting, I'd put W sitting on the list too. And W sitting where their toes are pointing outward and their medial malleolus, like their medial ankles are like flat on the ground, mm -hmm. toes out. Yeah. Just thinking, I don't think I could do that if somebody tried. Oh my to, gosh, like, I know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that flexible, but. Me neither. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those kids, they're, they're very, very bendy as a rule. Um, uh, I'm just wondering if um, you have any experience like personally or, or you know, um, indirectly or through the grapevine about like kind of applications of um, either primitive reflex integration or sensory integration, um, with kids with a pans or pandas diagnosis? Yes. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, you know, I actually have a close friend who has a kiddo with pandas and he's dealt with it for years. And I don't think that they have dabbled into reflex integration, but they actually are going like this next month to see a specialist and go through a program. So I'll have to report back on um, on their progress because I personally haven't worked with um, kiddos with pandas and I, I don't know if I have heard of anyone like going through the reflex integration program with pandas, but I should look into that a little bit more. Do you see a lot of clients with pandas or pans? Uh yeah, I, I have seen many over the years and it's, yeah. um, I have a couple that were like in the process of, you know, kind of doing some of this work, but still okay. kind of earlier days and don't have much to report on yet. Yeah. Um, but it just on paper, it's like, well, Jesus is a massive insult to the central nervous system with all this neuroinflammation. And so yeah. like, he's either going to exacerbate stuff that was already there or, you know, maybe, you know, trigger or something that was it. otherwise dormant. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it makes a lot of sense to me. Like just, I mean, some cases, you know, oh, you just get them on antibiotics and like everything's tickety-boo pretty quick and then there's the, the more chronic cases where it's like it's not quite that easy and yeah. it just makes sense to me this would be broadly applicable there but absolutely yeah um and just kind of on a related note and it's getting a little nichey here but uh, just you know with the <laughs> complex chronic illness podcast like we talk about like Lyme disease affecting the brain and mold toxins affecting the brain and all these things. And I'm just wondering if um, there's, if you have experience or, or by proxy, like just knowing about um, kind of application of this in either kids or, or adults uh, who might, um, you know, have those types of afflictions and if this is applicable. It's something that I have like learned about myself personally and my kiddos. And I'm kind of going through all of that, like the mold and, um, you know, the, autoimmune type stuff. But unfortunately, I don't know if like my clients or the people who I've worked with have gone that route. But for me personally, I tested positive for mold. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's connected per se, but I definitely noticed that I have some reflexes that I'm holding on to as well. And I do the exercises. I build them into my workouts. But that's another good question. I, I'm, I, what I, in my, in the perfect world, I wish that there were clinics where OTs, functional medicine, developmental optometrists, PT speech could all work together. BCBAs, you know, psychologists could all work together because that aspect of the functional side of things, like what's going on internally 
has such a huge impact on a kiddo and how they're going to be successful in OT. And I think that would be a really cool area to navigate. But I, to, to answer your question, long story short, um, I don't, I, I don't have any experience with it. Well, I will uh, let you know if I get Please some experience do. with it because uh, yes. that's, that's my patient population. And like, that's something exactly. where I'm kind of bringing that, uh, starting to, you know, bring that into my practice. Well, I'll let I you know. I love that. Yep. Oh my gosh, can I come? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. It's beautiful here. Okay, great. <laughs> um, you, you've kind of already um, alluded to this or touched on this a little bit, but I'll just ask you a kind of point blank here. So I was asking you about the application of um, this type of work to uh, neurodivergent kids in terms of, say, non-neurodivergent kids, um, in, say, kids who are like, you know, generally, you know, doing well, neurotypical, all that. Um, if somebody's listening to this thinking like, well, I just want my kid to be as, you know, healthy as humanly possible. Yeah. I kind of want to look into this. I'm just wondering, um, what are some of the positive changes that they might expect to see if they were to look into this? Like, I know you mentioned about maybe, you know, easier time with socialization and things like that, but, um, just, yeah, what would be some of the benefits to look for in just a kid who's otherwise doing really well, but there'd be any additional benefits over and above that? That's a great question. I honestly feel like every child, every adult should be like my, my goal. I just wrote this crawling curriculum for this particular population, but I, I feel like crawling is as innate as blinking. Right. And crawling is like one of the most, my opinion, one of the most important developmental milestones. And it not only works on proprioceptive awareness, bilateral coordination, ocular motor skills, um, the reflex integration, like when kiddos get down the floor and they're moving, they're crawling, their brains are just naturally going to get more organized. So you might see them be more of a flexible thinker. They might have more confidence. They might have stronger arches and stronger hands in order to be able to write more efficiently and to hold their pencil a little bit more properly. Um, they might be able to read a little bit more fluently or faster um, or copied from the board. So things that you might not necessarily realize are impacting your child could be impacting your child and you won't really know until you either like do a checklist or start incorporating some of these activities but um i honestly feel like adults should be crawling every day as well and should be doing these activities too um just not only for the sensory benefits but they can engage with their kiddos and they can get down on the floor with their kiddos and um, and they can get a lot of these benefits as well. I noticed personally, I had this crazy experience. I'll just share really quick as like a, you know, success story for my own, for my own self. But um, it was like a Sunday morning and weekends are always a little bit harder because the kids are home and they're, you know, just kind of all over the place. We don't have as much structure. And I was just feeling really impatient and really frustrated with the kiddos and, you know, nothing was going right. And so we met up with our neighbors at the community center in our neighborhood and we just played and played and played. And at the very end, we all crawled back and forth, you know, five or 10 times back and forth, just playing our game. And we crawled and I crawled as well. And, um, I went home and I was like, Oh, wow. Like, feel so much calmer and more patient. And I wasn't feeling like I was going to snap at the drop of a hat. And, it, and I just had this aha moment. And like, I do this for a living. You'd think that I'd be more like, okay, I'm going to go crawl and I'm going to make myself feel better. It was like, I, I wasn't even thinking about it for myself, but I just, I got home and I was like, oh, wow, that actually worked. Like, I feel so much better now. So when I had that moment, I'm like, man, everyone needs this. Everyone can benefit. Such an easy prescription. It's cheap. Right? You know? and, it um, and, and as I'm hearing you say that, I'm thinking like, you know, if you, if we did crawl every day, then you'd probably be able to crawl every day for the rest of your life. You know, it's like, oh, I'm 80. I can't get on the floor or up and down off the floor now. It's like, I have a family member who uh, is from Japan and she's like, yeah, like just, um, we have toilets like on the floor, like, yeah. you know, or we have to get down onto the floor to sit, um, you know, at like at the table. So like everybody can get up and down off the floor because we do it every day. You never lose the skill. So exactly. Yeah. I actually just did a continuing education course and the gal who was treating it was probably in her seventies or eighties. And she's like, I sit in a deep squat every day. And that honestly has been a game changer for me. Like I'm on the floor, I'm moving and, you know, she's like, I can still do it in my age right now. So that's, like, that's yeah. good. Yep. Goals, You're right? Life goals. Goal. <laughs> exactly. Yep. 
Um, another just kind of random question that came to mind. I was just curious and um, uh, just by any chance, like has um, anyone done a study where they've, you know, say done pre and post like, you know, fMRIs or uh, like UEEG brain maps or like any kind of like brain scans of the like pre and post and by your face, I'm guessing no, that'd be really Uh, cool. But have, have has it anybody? would be really cool. I feel like um, Dr. Malilo, Malio, Malio, um, I feel like he would be the one who has done that. I, I haven't seen anything. Um, I don't like his work is, is a little bit different than from what I do. Um, but he definitely dabbles and dabbles. He does a lot more research in that area and he's published some studies. Um, I feel like the biggest challenge, the, the most pushback we get in the reflex integration area is the research and the research is there. It, it shows that successful integration of primitive reflexes improves things like ADHD and, you know, all, all these other things. But what I feel like is lacking is showing which activities to do before and after and and what the outcomes are because all of the research it says the movement activities and yada 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 and I'm like well you know people are gonna are gonna fuss about that because what are the actual movements and you know we have the actual moves we see the progress we know the progress is there the research is there I just don't think that it has I don't think there's enough information out there for more research yet Um, but I'm hopeful that that will get there. But, um, Dr. Sally, I don't think she's a doctor. Um, Sally, uh, Sally Goddard, she has a book that is just phenomenal. And it's like the Bible of primitive reflexes. It's so good. Right. Yeah. I think I've seen her, uh, interviewed. I don't, I don't think we have the book, but, uh, yeah, yeah she's so. great. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, this is just my, my naturopathic doctor brain uh, coming out here, but I'm just wondering, have you seen any, um, like synergy at all, um, or, or, or dissynergy maybe between like certain, um, like either dietary factors or supplements or other lifestyle habits, like either, you know, um, helping to make the work you do work faster and better, or maybe stand in the way of that. Yeah. Uh, the biggest things that I notice, because um, I, I love how your brain works, mine's very similar in that aspect, just not at your level, but things like food dye are a big factor for contributing to things like ADHD. Um, sleep is another big factor. If we can tackle sleep and get kids sleeping better, um, we'll have more progress faster generally with, pre with reflex integration. Um, anytime we can eat less processed foods. I mean, it's just like the, the normal things like eat, eat cleaner, eat more, eat real food and we'll see more progress. But I think for a lot of my clients and a lot of people that I work with, like they're just grasping for straws. They're like, I need something to help my child. And it can be challenging for them to take the supplements, change the diet, you know, remove gluten, dairy, soy, food dyes, fun, everything. Um, So I feel like reflex integration is like a good jumping point, right? If we can, if we can work on the reflex integration, we can get the body out of fight or flight. We can get kids to be more flexible, to eat more foods, to try things a little bit different, um, to sleep better, to be more organized. And then I, I almost feel like it's kind of where it's a good place to start to get them able to do more dietary changes, um, more movement changes, less screen time. So I feel like that's, it's, it's hard for a lot of the clients that I work with because they're trying, they, they know they want to do all the things, but these kiddos are rigid and they're stuck and they're like, I'm not going to eat that. You know? And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's break it down. Let's get, let's, let's get the foundation strong, right? Let's get that foundation strong. And then we can incorporate some more of those, those modalities in there. So, uh, yeah, really, really good point there. And like, um, one of the challenges we run into with pediatric patients, um, in, you know, clinical practice, like sometimes it's just really hard to get the supplements down the hatch, or as you said, the dietary oh, changes, yeah. like just for folks listening, it's like, oh, this is, this is a non-supplemental non-dietary approach that could be like a heck of a lot easier to incorporate. Um, into I won't say it's easy though. I won't say it's easy, but sometimes If you can be creative and you can be fun, you can do those exercises and those activities easier than getting your child to drink a juice or, you know, have a supplement. 
exactly. Yeah. I have yeah. like the pickiest kids on the planet and uh, yeah, my wife is much better at getting them to do that stuff than to take their supplements. So yeah, exactly. living, living proof over here can be exactly. the path of least resistance. Um, yeah. And uh, let's see, I just have a couple more questions for you. I know our time kind of running, running down here, but um, <clears throat> so uh, in terms of like adults listening right now, um, yeah, I guess, let me see here. What I want to phrase this. I guess I'm just wondering, um, yeah, an adult listening right now, if they're like, yeah, well, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not toe walking. I'm not, you know, putting everything on my mouth, you know, uh, maybe I'm not a picky eater or like I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Um, are there uh, certain, you know, clinical um, uh, signs or clues that, you know, an adult might kind of screen themselves for their listening right now? Like I hear you loud and clear and I agree. I think everyone should probably get assessed for, you know, retained primitive reflexes and sensory integration issues and whatnot. But um, are there any kind of like you know, clues that might be more adult specific um, than, uh, that, that would uh, clue them that they, maybe they should get an assessment done or consider that? Yeah, I always think about the stress response, you know, especially parents, especially caregivers who are, you know, snapping at their kiddos really often. And they're realizing, oh my gosh, like I'm yelling at my kiddos again. Why am I doing this? Like that short fuse is always, I mean, that's always my like trigger for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to, I need to reset my brain and I need to get organized. Um, but that's a big one for parents and for caregivers. Um, thinking about the stress response. I always think about um, focusing, sitting down. Are you able to are you able to focus on your work or are you feeling like your brain is everywhere um, or you have to fidget and you can't sit still? Um, so that's a big one. And I think about like quality of movements as well. Like, are you able to get down and stand up? Are you able to crawl? Are you able to hold a Superman position? Are you able to lift your neck up and hold that supine flexion position? So some of those activities, I also think um, things like reading, writing, um, ocular motor movements. Can you catch a ball? Can you throw a ball off the wall and let it bounce and catch it? You know, it seems trivial, but like the activities in the book that I wrote, it's like, they're so simple and so foundational, but so many people don't practice them anymore because they're just on their phones all the time or they're on their computer all the time. And it's like, holy cow, we can't even like catch a ball right now. You know, so things like that, where let's take it back to the basics and see, can you function? in society and move your body and can your brain process things clearly, right? And and there's so many other underlying factors that it could be as well. But reflexes, it's such an easy place to start. It's like, why not just try it and see, see how you feel afterwards? Um, and kind of taking the opposite, like kind of asking the question from the opposite end of the spectrum, like, you know, instead of folks who are generally healthy and what might they be looking for, um, do you yourself have experience or do you know of uh, folks using this kind of work um, to help folks with, uh, say, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or other like, yeah, more chronic challenging conditions in, in adults? And could you speak to that? You know, um, I don't know if I have heard of adults with chronic fatigue and things like that. Um, my mom has trigeminal neuralgia right now, and I've actually been having her do the activities as well. Um, plus, you know, working with a chiropractor as well. And, you know, I just have her on the floor all the time. And it's hard to say like what's working or what's not working, but her trigeminal neuralgia symptoms have significantly improved. Um, since doing this, I sent her home with one of my books and I'm like, okay, these are the activities you're going to do every day. And, um, this might be a little TMI, but I just, I had never heard of this from an adult, but the, the gal that we had talked to, um, she was on our podcast. So like, I have free will to say this cause she shared it with us. Mm -hmm. Um, the mom of five, she said that, um, her, her marriage life and things that you do in your married life actually improved as well after she had integrated her reflexes and um and worked through that which that was like so mind-blowing to me I was like I've never heard of this before but like go you like you've implemented this plan you've done the you've done the work and she's like I 100% notice a difference in those in those areas and I was like oh my gosh like maybe this is the next area we need to research you know so I thought that was really cool yeah. Well, if you're feeling more relaxed, you know, that makes sense, exactly. right? Like, logically, it's like, it makes perfect sense on paper. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, 
And uh, just one more uh, question here, just around kind of symptoms or things. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, motion sickness, is this something that um, like uh, cases of motion sickness, like resolving or improving with Yeah. this kind of work? yeah, I've actually heard of motion sickness improving. Um, the moral reflex is directly connected to the vestibular system, which is located in your ear. And if you think about motion sickness, it's kind of like a mismatch of sensory information. You're sitting in a car, but you're moving, but you're turning your head. Your ears are kind of wonky. The pressure is moving. Um, so motion sickness is that is that mismatch. And I, I have heard of positive, lots of positive stories of kids who have gone through and integrated their moral reflex And their motion sickness symptoms have improved and their vestibular processing has improved and they can modulate that sense a little bit more efficiently. So they're not getting as confused, which is, is causing them to either vomit or get nausea, nauseous. So yeah, it's wild, right? that's good that's I know powerful it's good. important We stuff love it. yep Yeah. um yeah no, I, th I think it's a really exciting area like there's just so much uh like such a potential for like a broad spectrum potential and like just again the fact there's no pills required no dietary changes required like it's It just almost sounds a little like woo woo, you know, like talking about it to people. I'm like, yeah, these reflexes, like they're so important, but like, ah, there's just so much. And it's sometimes hard to get people to buy into it. I don't even say buy in in a bad way, but like to really recognize like this is a real thing. And, and kids are seeing huge progress when we're getting them out of fight or flight. One of the things I really like about it is I, I hear you. And then at the same time, thinking about my world of like, well, okay. So saying to someone like, yeah, I think all your symptoms might be due to these like little microscopic bacteria. You can't see like these spirochetes called, you know, called Lyme disease. Like that's, you know, on the face value, like that's kind of like a weirder concept than like retained reflexes. But just the fact that there's tests for all this, right? Like the fact that you can be like, oh, like I'm going to do these primitive reflex tests on you and we're going to see, do you have the response or not? Like just, I love the fact that it's so, um, you know, like, nothing against osteopathy at all for example like i think osteopaths are great but like oh i went to see the osteopath they're feeling like oh my dura is tight this or that like there's just it's it's kind of all it literally in their hands and it's like great you know i drank the kool-aid on that a long time ago great osteopathy is wonderful um but it's like there's just nobody else can really see that unless they're like another osteopath whereas like oh you're watching your kid and like they're you know like ah, like you know doing this you know starter reflex like just and it's reproducible it happens every time like it's i think it's one of the least woo things out there quite frankly because you can like see the physical proof of it you can't like fake a reflex like a reflex is Yeah. a reflex you're gonna or you're not like you know it just is Exactly. what it is um Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, uh, Rachel, I know our, our time is winding right down here, but I'm just wondering if you could speak a bit to like, what's, what's sensational brain all about? Um, you know, um, yeah. What, uh, what, what, what is sensational brain and please Sensational talk about brain. that. We're just we're just helping sensational kids, sensational adults all over the place. We have um, lots of continuing education videos. That's where it started um, for occupational therapists and assistants. Um, we're AOTA certified, so we get those um, we get those those certificates right for therapists. Um, but I've kind of branched into um, adding more like sensory strategies and sensory activities for parents as well because I just felt like there's you know we have so many great resources. for therapists, but parents are like, I need this information as well. Um, so we have BrainWorks, which is um, kind of sensory diet creation tool. We've got picture cards and, and um, information to help identify sensory needs and then implement a sensory diet to help kind of organize that, the sensory modulation. Um, and we've got, I, I've got this crawling curriculum that's launching here soon. And uh, I'm really excited for just classrooms to get access to that and, and parents and therapists as well, because it literally just walks you through activities to do every day to help that nervous system be the most organized. So lots of courses, lots of sensory tools and uh, lots of handouts and, and resources. So I feel like if a clinician is listening to this, they'll like, you know, go to your website and they'll kind of figure out what they need. They'll sift through, um, if say Hopefully. it's just a, hopefully, um, if it's kind of a, a general member of the public, someone's like, this is really interesting. Or like, I'd really like to explore this more. Like, uh, could you just give them a bit of guidance in terms of like, is there a sort of a first step, Yes. like, you know, course or like, what should, Yes. what should they do first? Honestly, the first, the first place that I would go, if you are new to this information, you go to our resources and then you click on free resources and then you scroll down and we have free sensory checklists. So you can take a sensory checklist. We've got different ages, different languages. 
identify your sensory needs, identify your child's sensory needs, and then you can take that information. We've got a couple of free webinars. We've got a couple of webinars on, lots of webinars on sensory. Um, we've got lots of primitive reflex courses, primitive reflex integration. Um, so we've got a lot, a lot of resources there. I do have a, a checklist, a primitive reflex integration checklist as well. That's in my like forms for therapists section under my resources. Um, so I would definitely check out those checklists, check out those checklists, you know, there's lots a lot of, check lot of checking, yes. a lot of checking that we're doing. Yeah. Um, that just gives you an idea of like, is this relevant to me? Like, are we actually struggling or am I making this up? Um, and, uh, just to take it one step further there. So if, you know, again, I'm a lay person, I'm interested in this. So, you know, I check out, you know, do the checklist and yes, this is something that applies to me or my child or whatnot. Um, are, are you saying that there are some courses or resources where someone could, um, like basically learn how to check the primitive reflexes themselves yep. on their own child or whatnot. So it could be yep. kind of like a, a DIY sort of thing. Yes. Yep. We've got, um, we've got a couple of different course options. We've got a couple more courses too that are launching soon that run through how to test for reflexes, how to screen for reflexes, and then how to integrate those reflexes as well. Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, what we I, need, I, right? A hundred percent. And like, I mean, having gone through like it, I did a training course in this before and um you know just kind of going through it it's like yeah like it's always handy if you can be a clinician going in with this but like it's not you know it's not rocket science like you know you can just check for something like you know spinal gallant is like is so their quick. back twitching or not like, you know palmer yeah. like are they yeah. grasping or not um and at the very least like getting a good sense of like oh is this something that applies to my child and if you're doing the work and you need some extra support you know finding a therapist to help out is is great but i think kind of uh taking taking back our power a little bit more around like you know we can do a lot for ourselves and our kids and everything um you know those anyways so that's great that you have those resources available for for just anyone um so uh, uh would you mind just sharing the the website i'll put everything in the show notes yep. but uh what, yep. what is the website uh, uh website is just sensationalbrain.com and um, i share a lot of resources on instagram at the no it's not it's at sensational brain so it's all everywhere we're just sensational brain um, and you can find us and follow and hang out. Amazing. And, uh, I know I follow you on Instagram, but uh, any other social media platforms you're on or is Instagram where you have all your, all your <laughs> eggs in that basket? Um, no Instagram. I don't have time for any other. I have another account, the sensory project 208. That's another account that I run. Uh, my podcast is all things sensory podcast, all things sensory by Harkla. Um, I work also with a company called Harkla and, um, they have sensory products and we've got courses there as well. Um, so I'll definitely check out those resources, lots of free resources. Um, Harkla does have a YouTube channel that we do as well. And we do a new video on Tuesdays. Um, so you can find you, I guess we, I guess we technically are on YouTube, but YouTube and Instagram and podcasts. Yeah. Okay. You're everywhere. That's plenty, right. That's plenty. That is plenty. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It was very enlightening for me and I hope uh, other folks really enjoyed this too. So really appreciate all the work that you do. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was lots of fun. Well, uh, thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the the, the dual shared um, uh, episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast and an Optimistic Future podcast. Uh, we hope that it was enjoyable and please stay tuned for the next one.